on. I think I'm speaking through the speakers, aren't I? Am I not? Maybe it's just this one. Is it this one? Definitely this one. Am I, am I, not, am I not loud enough? What I normally? This is when you tell me that you guys can never hear me. Some of you are like, that's why we sit in the back, because we can't hear a word you say. Um, I don't, we haven't had this speaker on for like two years. I've never, it feels weird. It feels like I'm talking to myself from behind myself. Um, okay. Logan, we good? He doesn't know what's going on. That's okay. Well, as long as you guys are okay, we'll just, we'll just do it. Okay. Sounds good. Wonderful. We'll continue on in the book of Ephesians. Uh, we are in chapter five and we're going to cover 21 verses tonight. And we're in our study, uh, finding our identity in Christ. I am, and Jesus is filling in the blank each passage as Paul preaches to us. And so, uh, tonight we're going to be talking about our identity is that we are loved. I am loved. I am loved. And really, um, well, a couple things. First off, let me, let me challenge you. Let me, um, let me quiz you just a little bit. There's six chapters in Ephesians. And each week, I typically uh, mention that um, it's split up into two parts. Do you guys remember which chapters are split? How is it split? The book of Ephesians. One through three, four through six. The engineer got it. All right. And what is one through three known for and four through six known for? They both start with eyes. Indicative and imperative. One through three, it's all about what's in, um, what God has done for us and who he says we are. So we find our identity not because of what we've done, but uh, because he has done things for us. He's died on the cross. He has told us who we are because he's the creator and we are creation. And then the imperatives, the imperatives in chapters four through six. This is all of the verses that say, and walk this way, walk, 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 walk. So I'm going to do a little old school teaching strategy. I got candy. I know it's not Valentine's Day, but I got candy. When you hear me um, say the word walk, you just holler out and I will get you some candy. So I need you to pay attention tonight as we're going to hit that a few different times. And so these 21 verses are all founded on verse one. Remember, when you're studying the Bible and you see a passage um, and you're wondering, what, what's the theme? What's the topic? The first sentence, the last sentence, oftentimes, particularly in the New Testament, will show you what it's all about. And if you are reading this at home, I think it's easy for us to miss this because it's going to sound like a bunch of do this and don't do that, a bunch of rules, a bunch of commands, but context is key. And verse one is going to tell us that we are beloved children. And it changes everything. And all of a sudden, we understand all the other verses to not just be um, commands, but we recognize this is what happens when you don't understand that you are loved by God, that you're loved by God. Um, when you were a kiddo, did you ever play that game where you would um, be with a friend or with a parent and you would say um, something like, well, I love you times a thousand. And then the other one would say, I love you times what? Like a million, and then a billion, and then a zillion, and then a trillion. And you start all these numbers. What was the one that like capped it off, that ended the conversation? You remember that? Infinity. Yes, you would say, I love you, infinity. But then like deep down, just for a second, you would think to your mind, like, 
that's impossible. Like that's the, that's the immeasurable number. Infinity just goes on and on and on and on. But that's the story of the Bible. That's the story of God's love for you and I. That he, he, he didn't just send Jesus to say, well, I love you, little past teaching. Or I love you, um, uh, prophecy. Or I, I love you, um, miracles. I love you, past death. Like further than anyone else could go. Like we can't show each other. And if we could, it wouldn't change anything. That kind of love. God's saying, you can't love more than this. And this is how I feel about you. This is how I feel about you. Now, the big idea as we walk through tonight, if you're a note taker. Hey, I didn't, I didn't even hit it in the scripture, but she caught me. I feel like I'm going to give out, I was, it's only a few times in the scripture, but the more I thought about this, I thought, you know what, I'm, I better buy a bag of candy because I tend to say the word a lot. And, and, um, and so we'll see how this goes. This might backfire on me tonight. It might backfire. The big idea is when God's children know that they're loved, they know how to live. When children know that they are loved, they know how to live. Christians don't need a bunch of religion poured on to us because we know uh, love changes things. And when we understand and not just know, but receive the love of God, um, it gives us a desire. It gives us a new heart to want to live a different way. So God commands us. um, He reminds us. He teaches us. uh, But love changes everything. And it's interesting to me. Before we jump in, uh, it's interesting how the secular world tends to reflect that. Tara and I were going through foster care uh, training and license stuff and all that, and it's several hours um, for on Tuesday nights for about ten weeks. And last week we were studying um, Erickson's stages of development. You ever heard of that? There's a guy in the 1950s, Eric Erickson. Name so nice, they named him twice. They he he came up with these. St- <laughs> Sorry, I had to. It just. Um, He came up with these eight or nine different stages for uh, babies all the way up through adults and the different stages of development. And um, I I wouldn't say that I agree with everyone, but you know how secular psychologists will do. And so um, they they said, well, the very first thing is that babies, they've got to learn basic trust, basic love, that that someone's going to take care of me, that when I cry, someone will be there, that they love me, that I can trust that that someone's going to nurture me. And and then um, after that, then kids who uh, start walking a little bit, toddlers, they learn about will, and, and now they can make choices, and they feel shame, or they feel guilt, or, or they, they get to choose right or wrong, and then they get to um, learn things that make them competent, and, and it goes on and on and on and on. But here's what was really interesting. It is, as we're walking through this, oh my gosh, this is, this is going to backfire for sure. As we are going through this, the sad part is, this is the most I've ever had to watch my mouth teaching, so that should be convicting to me. Um, as we were going through this, they said the key is that these are building blocks. And if you take a foster child in who has missed one of these stages, then everything falls apart. And so you might have an adult that if they missed the first stage, if they didn't know that they were loved, that they could trust someone, you're going to have all kinds of issues. And so don't be surprised if a 13, 14, 15-year-old acts like a child. And I think we do that with the church a lot. 
that we say, okay, you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. You know the love of God. Yeah, I know the love of God. I heard about Jesus dying on a cross my whole life. Okay, great. Get a go, grow group and then uh, serve. There's lots of things you can do. So serve and then, and then here's how you're going to be discipled and you disciple and you disciple and you get plugged into the evangelical machine. It doesn't matter what the local church name is. We all got the same type of stuff going on. And so you're trucking, trucking, trucking. I think I'm being a good Christian. But then deep down you realize there's some brokenness. And, and, and maybe I've never dealt with it. And you've known the love of God, but you never really received the love of God. And you certainly don't rest in the love of God. And I think we've got to be careful. Because you can serve God. You can learn about God. You can go down the track of growth in the Christian world. But if you don't understand the foundational pillar of God's love and receive it, everything else is going to be kind of broken. So, let's trek through these passages <laughs> and see what we see. Verse 1, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. See, this is where the game should have started. And um, walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Verse 7, therefore, do not become partners with them. Now, we're going to stop three times tonight. The first one is this, verses 1 through 7, I am loved, I am loved. Verse 1, therefore, remember when there's therefore you ask? What's it there for? We talked about in the last chapter how we are a new creature in Christ. We have a new life and we are to live we are not to live in the old life. But he says, be imitators of God. Now the Greek word for imitators is um uh mimesis, essentially, which we get the word mimic. So to mimic God, to be like God. Exodus tells us, Be holy as I am holy, and here in Ephesians five it says Imitate God. So as God loves, that's how we're supposed to love. I, I came home um, from work a day or two ago, and I walked in, and Silas uh, saw me. We're just When we're done, you just come get your candy. We'll just do that. We'll just do that. You just have the whole bag. And this is the last candy night that you guys get at cross training. And <laughs> usually I'm the one poking. And I walked in and Silas saw me and within a couple minutes he said to Tara and I, he said, I want to be a daddy when I grow up. Why? Because he he saw his daddy. And so then I talked to him and I said, well, buddy, um, to be a daddy, you know, you probably need to get married. And he said, oh. And I said, well, who are you going to marry? What do you think he said? Mom. Mom. Why did he say mom? Right? Because all little boys want to marry mom and all little girls want to marry dad. That's what happens. Kids act like their parents. Kids want to act like their parents, good or bad. And so we're to be imitators of God. Now he says that 
We are his beloved children. This is, it. This, is, this is our identity. This is where everything else, if we miss this, then the other stuff, it, it just doesn't mean nearly as much. We are beloved children. You don't get to choose this. God chooses this. He calls us love. He shows us love through the cross. He says, this is how much I love you. The, the word beloved, um, the love part, it is agape. It's that unconditional love. And it ultimately means the object of God's affection. That's what he says. That's what, the, that's what it means, that you are the object of God's affection. Now, we've talked a whole bunch of times that God is, God is for God. God is for God's glory. But he has made humanity the object of his affection. That's huge. He's a father, and we're adopted as his kids. Now, let's talk about love just a little bit. He says we're going to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant, that means acceptable offering and sacrifice to God. You see, love communicates worth. One thing I've learned specifically through counseling in the church is that uh, love has to have obviously a giver and a receiver. And what you experience on earth, you generally project on to things in heaven. And so your experience with your heaven, your earthly father projects onto how you view a heavenly father. And since we live in a, in a time and a culture that has a bunch of daddy deprivation and just brokenness, it means that a whole bunch of people have broken views of a heavenly father. And what I've seen is that um, I'll ask people who struggle with their identity. I'll say, well, do you believe that um, God is the giver of love, that, that he's worthy to give love, that his love is good? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you believe that God does give love, right? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you know of God's love. Well, yeah. But then they'll often say, but I don't feel worthy. And that's the hang-up. That's the hang-up. And I think we have a whole slew of Christians who say, I know about the love of God, but I don't feel worthy. But this is the beautiful thing about adoption. Fathers get to choose adoption. Kids don't get to choose adoption. They get to enjoy and be thankful for it, that they're beloved. Is that you? Do you not feel worthy of God's love? It's good, good news because ultimately we're not worthy of God's love. Jesus is the one that's worthy and we're trusting in his sacrifice on the cross that he's saying, I love you this much. You can have it. You can receive it. And you've got to, as a child, as we talked about in those stages of development, whether you agree with that or not, you've got to know and have basic trust that God loves you. He loves you. He says, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You see, some of us, we struggle with the love of God because on earth we have sacrificed over and over and over for love. We had broken parents and we said, well, I reached out to them and they didn't contact me. Or I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to spend time with mom. I wanted to spend time with dad, but, but they wouldn't give me the time. Or we were in that relationship and every time it broke, we had to send the text message. We had to push send on the email. We were the first to reach out. We put ourselves out there over and over and over and they didn't love me back. They, they didn't want me. They didn't think I was valuable. 
And so we see that we're supposed to sacrifice the way that Jesus sacrificed on the cross. And we say, we have been sacrificing. We just haven't had much sacrifice in return. But this is why the gospel reminds us. You can give love on earth. We're called to give love on earth. But broken people are broken. And you've got to recognize you don't sacrifice because everyone around you is lovable or worthy of love. You sacrifice because we were unworthy, but Jesus is worthy and he sacrificed in our place. It changes everything. You see, everybody is ultimately looking for love. You and I were created for love. And here's the rest of these verses. And this is crucial because context is key. If you don't find love in God, you will find it in lesser gods. You will search for it in lesser gods and it will never fill the void. It will never fill the void. And what your lesser God is, is different for each one of us. But this is crucial because you have heard most of the verses we've talked about tonight. You've heard them quoted uh, many times out of context, probably a hundred times. Many popular verses in verses 1 through 21. But if you don't understand, it all comes from the foundation. God adopts us. God chooses us. God loves us. And he's the one who gets to tell us that we're loved. Then none of this will make sense. So let's walk through these. So, but sexual immorality, these are the do nots and all impurity. What does sexual immorality mean, right? We always want to know what's the line? What's the line? What's the line? Obviously, that's not the heart of God, right? If you're even close to the line, then, then, then there's struggles. And we don't, as Christians, have um, always the letter of the law. We have the spirit of the law. And the spirit of the law is going to convict you of things that maybe the letter of the law might not. And so you've got to recognize sexual immorality. You, people say, what does that mean? Well, the Greek means porneia. So it's set in the bar pretty high but it can be um, ultimately you looking for love because sexual immorality isn't just lust. It's ultimately looking for love, right? Um, you can look for love in the wrong places, in the wrong people. You can look for it in the wrong timing. You can look for it in the wrong ways. You can find it too soon. So it's a whole bunch of things. It's a junk drawer. You can always tell a, um, a young single dude like, you see it particularly with college students. Young dudes, they'll ask like, well, what, is that, what does that really mean? What does that really mean? What does that really mean? It says, knock it off. Sexual immorality, sexual immorality. Well, what does it mean in the Greek? You, know, you can always tell a dirty um, 20-something single dude who's running from the Lord when he's doing uh, Greek word studies on sexual immorality. And he's like, I just want to know, what does it mean? What does it mean? Here's what it means in the Greek. It means you're nasty. Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. Don't be so nasty. That's what it's saying. All impurity or covetousness. That's the desire to acquire, that, that you want someone else's stuff. Ultimately, what he's saying here is don't try to love things you can't have and don't desire things that would make you more lovable. Well, I just wish I looked like them. Well, I just wish that I had what they had, that that I had their body, that I had their mind, that I had their heart. Because why? You want to be more lovable. You want people to be able to say, look at you, you are lovable. Or I want their stuff. I want their house. I want their bank account. Why? Because I want stuff. I I want to love things that they have. Don't covet. Don't covet. He says, and let there be no filthiness. That's shaming. 
no, nor foolish talk, that's stupid talk, nor crude joking, that's vulgarity. It's interesting, I don't know what you grew up in, but um, oftentimes we manipulate love and we shame love um, in the way that we talk. Any of you guys ever experience any locker room talk? Right? It's popular among guys, but this is what happens. Um, it's shameful. We talk about um, people of the opposite sex. We talk about our own gender in shameful ways, in vulgar ways. And we defile love with the things that we say. But instead, it's out of place, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. You can be thankful. God loves us. You don't have to seek love in these other ways or defile love in these other ways. You can just receive it. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or covets, that is an idolater, right? Because you idolize, this is the lesser gods, these other things. You have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. There's a whole bunch of people who would say, hey, it's okay to have those things, right? That's where the culture is moving. Um, We don't like to... um, just give you a quick example. Um, I was having a conversation today and someone said, yeah, we had friends in church and they grew up and they raised their kids and they're empty nesters now, but um, they were always, no, the Bible says this, the Bible says this, the Bible says this, the Bible says this. Uh, But then their son said that he, he was gay. And now they're just on a rampage to tell everyone how it's okay to be gay. Like there's not a sin in God's eyes. Why? Because because you can sympathize, right? Their child experiences that. God's word doesn't change because our experience changes. God's word stays the same. It dictates us. We don't dictate it. Let no one deceive you with these empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So why can you be thankful? Because we, prior to Christ, we were sinners who were destined for the wrath of God. Love means a lot more when you realize that it's in contrast to wrath. It changes everything. In verse 7, he says, therefore, do not become partners with them. What does this mean? If people live in these ways, and the Bible saying, don't be partners with them. Well, Jesus was a friend of sinners. You're going to work with sinners. You're sitting next to sinners. But to partner means to share in. Don't share in them. Jesus hung out with sinners, but he didn't sin. Right? And so don't share in these things. I remember, um, I remember when I was in jail for a couple months and I got out and I had plenty of time to think about how I was going to live differently, but I was on intensive supervision. I was going to have to do a drug test, even though I had no issues with the drugs, but it's just all part of it. Three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And and I was going to have to do all the stuff for like three years. And it just was not looking like a pleasant future. And the first day I got out, I went, had a meal with my family and, you know, kind of greeted them and had all the hugs and okay i'm glad you're out of jail go do something with your life kind of thing and that night it was a saturday that night my friends saw me and they're like booth you know we're all freshmen in college at that point dude let's go celebrate you're out of jail I said what do you okay what do you want to do so let's go to parties let's go party where you live in manhattan there's one or two parties usually on the weekends right <laughs> plenty of things available i said no i can't do that and i don't live like that anymore i can't i, I can't do that no, no, you can do that. No, I love you guys, but I can't do that. It's probably the first time in my life, those friends I grew up with, the first time I probably actually showed them real love. It's probably the first time. You see, you can hang around people, but there's a big difference between being around and partaking in. He's saying, don't, 
Don't. When you know, when you know the love of God and you experience the love of God, you're not searching for the love of God in the way that the world is. And so when your friends, when your family, when your coworkers is saying, hey, we're not going to outright say it, but we're living in a way that says we're searching for love in all these places, you say, no, no, I got it. I got it somewhere else. You got to switch kingdoms. But it's so, so, so hard to say no and to not be a partner in the sin until you've experienced a greater love. And there's a lot of Christians who know of the love of God, but if they haven't experienced it, then they're going to find their lives are split between two kingdoms. Well, I do want to come to church and I do want to learn, but I want to have sex with my boyfriend. Because we're kind of almost married and it felt like it was going to happen. And well, I, you fill in the blanks. We want to live two lives. But you got to switch kingdoms. Second chunk, I am love. We're going to find out that we are light. Verses 8 through 14 says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, whenever you see quotes like this um, in the New Testament, it's either referring to an Old Testament passage, which Isaiah 60 is loosely quoted here, or um, it's a song or hymn that they would have sung in the early church, and sometimes those are spoken as well. Here is a scripture reference. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The second thing we see, we are loved, but we are light. We are light. Verse 8. It says, for at one time you were darkness. So that's who you were. Remember, this is all about chapter 4, and now in chapter 5 he's saying the same thing. You were a child of wrath. You were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You can tell when, when people walk into a room. Sometimes you can just tell, or when you meet someone, like who follows Jesus. You, you can see it um, in people, and you think, man, I think they follow Jesus. Can't, can't guarantee it but I'm pretty sure they followed you. You can just tell they've got a light. What you like in Pastor Andy, what you like uh, maybe in, in me, what you like in other Christians isn't us being awesome. It's Jesus in us. It's the Holy Spirit in us. It's that light in us. And so the Bible says that God is light. Jesus is light. He came and he dwelt among us, but you are light because he lives in you. Not because of what you've done, but because he lives in you. So he says, walk. Walk as children of light. What does it mean to walk as a child of light? Like, how in the world do you do that? Well, of course, it says the fruit of it is found in all that is good and right and true. So you want those things. You love those things. To walk as light means you identify sin. It means you confess sin. It means you repent of sin. It means you do it with other believers. It means you do it with God. It means you do it by yourself. This is why we have things like grow groups, so that we can walk as light, so that we can shine the light of Christ into each other's lives, so that we aren't just scared of sin, um, but we want to overcome sin. And so we talk about sin, not to exalt sin, but to say, Jesus can overcome this. Jesus can heal this. Jesus can forgive this. And we expose the junk. Because ultimately, the Bible says 
everything that's done in the dark is going to be brought to the light. And Christian community is an opportunity for you to be around people who will help expose sin in you and you expose sin in yourself and you confess sin. We don't like that very much. We say, well, the, the, the Catholic Church says you got to go to confessional, right? But then the evangelical church is like, well, I'll, I'll confess this privately. Here, here's what you need to know about faith. Faith is personal. It's not private. The love of God, it's personal, something to be experienced and received personally, but it's not private. Big difference between personal and private. You see, some of us, um, we hate to expose sin even in our own lives. And this might sound crazy, um, maybe not. But one thing I've seen is that um, when we're called out, whether it be by another Christian, whether it be by God, um, about our sin, we often take it incredibly personal. And you say, well, yeah, that's because it stinks, right? But that's because some of us have found our identity in our flaws. And to call out our sin means you're calling out not just my lifestyle, you're calling out who I am. And what Paul's telling us tonight is you are loved. You are a child of God and you're not just what everyone always wants to say. I'm just a sinner. I'm just a sinner. I'm just a sinner. No, he said earlier what? As is proper for the saints. He's talking to the church. I'm talking to a select few. Your identity in Christ is that of a saint. So when we expose sin, we're saying your identity isn't in your brokenness anymore. But for some, that is hard to let go of. But you don't have to take your flaws so personal. And he says, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So try to, try to find out what, what is pleasing to God. This is the heart of a believer. Not what can I get away with. Well, how far can I go sexually with my girlfriend or my boyfriend before God says that's a sin? No, 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 no. Your heart is, I'm loved by God, so I want to know, what does God love? If I'm loved by God, what does God love? And we say, I, I don't know what God loves. This is why we have the Bible. The Bible tells you, what God loves, what God hates. He says, try to discern it. What's pleasing to the Lord. And take no part, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of these things that they do in secret. And when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. So here's the big do not. Don't partake in the darkness, expose it. People, they try to hide in the darkness, right? D.L. Moody um, it, it said many times that, Character is what you are in the dark. Character is what you are in the dark. There's a lot of truth to that. When no one's looking, that's who you are. Are you hiding in darkness? Do you kind of like coming to things like this, but then kind of hate it because you know what's going to happen later tonight? Do you kind of like coming to worship services because it kind of gives you that spiritual high, but then you know who you are Sunday afternoon and Monday morning? Do you have habits? Do you have hobbies? Do you have relationships that you know this doesn't honor God? This is darkness, and I don't want it exposed. And so you keep some people in your life as kind of the Christian people, and you spend time with them on designated nights and designated activities, uh, and then you've got other people who aren't, and you say, well, I've kind of got two lives, but I don't really have two lives, but, and you just know there's two kingdoms battling for your heart, and you're entertaining both of them? Is that you? 
Is that you? Why in the world do people expose their sin? I think there's a lot of reasons. Number one reason is others expose it for them. This is kind of the worst for a lot of us because we see this all over the place in America right now. This is, this is the land of apologies, isn't it? Right? Somebody makes a mistake, a politician, maybe even a pastor, maybe someone, and they wouldn't have exposed the sin themselves, but since they got called out because somebody walked in, somebody clicked on the link, someone saw them on camera, somebody found out that they were in the dark. So they say, well, I I better apologize. Is that very authentic? Probably not. But that's one reason. Another reason is sometimes people expose their sin because they want it repaired, not overcome. I can't tell you how many counseling sessions I've had with people who will come in and say, well, here's, here's my life. And they will list off uh, maybe like a relationship that they have. And they'll say, well, we were living together and we were, um, you know, having sex and we were doing these different things and we were you know, blah, blah, blah. And they'll just list off all these things. And, and then they'll get to what they really want fixed. And they'll say, but now we broke up and I just want them back. And I'll say, okay, 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 okay. okay. Just so we're clear, <laughs> you do understand like all of the nasty sinfulness that this relationship had. And now you're sad that it's gone. So do you want to repent of the sin? Or do you just want that relationship repaired? Because that might not be very honoring to God. He might be kind of happy this relationship is over. Some people... They'll talk about their sin just because they want it repaired, not overcome. Number three, some people want relief, but not repentance. And this goes in line with that. But you often see this with addicts. Um, You see people on a regular basis will have first-time guests who come, and they'll want to stay and talk to a pastor afterwards, or they'll mark on their Connect card, and we'll talk to them on the phone or meet them somewhere, whatever. And they're broken, broken, broken. Uh, They got some kind of habitual sin in their life, and ultimately they just want relief. But they they don't want to live a God-honoring life. They just don't want to live such a sucky life. And and those are two different things. Just because someone is broken-hearted, and they want relief doesn't mean they want the Lord. And so some people will expose their own sin for the sake of relief, not repentance. Some people, for, they'll, re, they'll expose their sin because they just don't care. If you don't believe me, look on social media. <laughs> you ever scroll down and you think, you posted what? Why? Why would you put that out there? And some people, they're just, they're just blatantly like, I'll post, repost, whatever, and you just see the nastiness in it, and you're like, man, we live in a culture that doesn't care about sin. Sometimes we exalt some of the sin. But the best exposure of sin comes from Christ. Again, the Bible says, ultimately, everything that's done in the dark will be brought to the light, and the church gets to choose While we're on earth, are we going to expose our own sin? Are we going to be convicted by the Holy Spirit saying we want to glorify God? We want to honor God. And so I'm not proud of it. I don't want it, but I've made mistakes. And so then we can walk through it. We can be healed. That's what it means to be light, that that's your heart, that you would rather glorify God by the confession of sin than to live in shame and hide under your own mistakes. Both are going to be painful. 
One might cost you your reputation. The other one might cost you your soul. I am. I've seen it to be exhausting for people to live and to hide in their sin instead of exposing it, particularly um, amongst Christians because there's a facade that we feel like we need to have with each other. That we'll expose some brokenness just to show that we're real, but we don't want to expose all the brokenness because then we might be nasty. No one wants to be with someone who's nasty. And so we'll give each other just a little bit of our brokenness. We'll go to a grow group. We'll go to some church meeting and we'll say, well, here's my flaws and I gossiped a little bit at work and then I did this. Or, you know, back in my old life, I had some sexual impurity and then we'll talk about some of that, but we won't talk about what we did last night. We won't talk about our thoughts from this morning. We, we won't talk about some of that because w- the devil has us in some bondage. I remember marriage counseling one time. I had a guy come in and said um, that he, um, he'd had an emotional affair. And that his marriage was falling apart. And ultimately, you do it long enough. And you find that might not be all there is to the story. Months later, broken, came back, said, I lied to you. That wasn't all there was to the story. The problem is we'd wasted about six months of trying to filter through the facade, when we could have been walking through some healing. And although I'm thankful that you got to a place of honesty, I think, why? Why did we waste so much time? Why did we waste so much effort trying to keep up a lie? On a lie, on a lie, on a lie. But it happens all the time. Are you light? Are you darkness? He says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That's what light does. Last but not least, verses 15 through 21. So then look carefully. So I am loved, I am light, I am looking. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil or the days are short. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Last but not least. I am looking, I am loved, I am light, and I am looking. What are we looking for? We're looking at our lives. If we know I am loved, and there is a light shining in me because the Holy Spirit lives in me now that I have placed my faith in Jesus, and I'm seeing that sin is being exposed, God is cleaning house. Now, what am I going to do with the rest of my days? You see, this is the juxtaposition of a book like Proverbs or Ecclesiastes. Are you going to live wisely or unwise? Are you going to be wise or are you going to be foolish? You see, there are some things that aren't sinful, but they are stupid. You can go out and um, make 15000 bucks a year and buy a $100,000 vehicle. Might not be sinful, might just be stupid. 
Um, you, you can um, date someone that all your friends said, hey, this is not a very good person for you. Might not be sinful, but it might be stupid. There's all kinds of decisions that might not be sinful. They just might be stupid. And the Lord says, be wise. This is what happens when we have the word of God, we have the spirit of God in us. We can be wise. So that's what we're looking for. Are we living wisely or unwisely? Look at your life. What are you doing with your life? There are so many of us, and I look at my own life in this, that are wasting our lives. Like we, we know Jesus, we follow Jesus, we try to keep things more, we do, we, we do what we can, but ultimately, if you really look at our lives, we are wasting our lives. They say, studies show um, that the average 18-year-old, now, for the first time in history, the average 18-year-old has watched more TV than they spent hours in school. Think about that. Think about that. More TV than they spent hours in school. What hobbies do you have? Are they overtaking your life? What, what are you spending your time doing? What are you spending your free time doing? You see, we're looking. We're looking at how are we living? Are we spreading the love of God? I went to um, my parents' house a couple months ago, and Silas didn't get to watch much TV at our house because we don't have cable, and we don't want him watching a ton of TV. But when he's at Grandma and Grandpa's, things are different, right? And so we were watching TV, and I was actually sitting there watching it with him, and it was one of the little kids' shows, and I knew things were out of control because what seemed like a commercial popped on, and it said, you know, something about don't watch too much TV um, for the next, like, three hours, um, we're not going to show anything on this. Like it's like Cartoon Network or something. Nickelodeon, one of those things. Go outside and play. I was like, <laughs> that's cute. I waited for it to like go off and like go back to <laughs> the cartoon. And then I was like, I was looking at him. I was like, dude, I don't think I don't think your show's coming back on. I was like, Dad, where's the show? I was like, I, I think. And I read him the message. I think I, they're telling us to go outside. <laughs> I think they're telling us. We should do something with our lives. When Nickelodeon has to tell you to do something with your life, you're in a ditch. Props to Nickelodeon. But is that, is that you? You look at what you spend your time doing. Are you, are you living wisely? Not just making good decisions. Are you making the most of your time? The best use of your time. Because the days are evil. They're short. We live in a sinful, broken place that needs redeemed. And days are short. So don't be foolish. But understand what the will of the Lord is. I mean, I, I love this. This is just straightforward. Read the Bible. Know what God's word says. Know what his will is for your life. You don't have to sit out there. We think in the evangelical world that if we're super spiritual, that if we just sing loud enough, that we, if, if, we just, if we just call on the Holy Spirit to show up, then, then like when we have this super experiential, experience and, and then all of a sudden maybe we can hear from God and then if we don't hear from God then, then we, we need to tell all our friends like I'm not hearing from God and I just well what does hearing from God look like? Well I don't know I feel like I should feel something and we've over sold it like that we, we look carefully then how you walk not as unwise but as wise you just heard the word of God 
therefore you just heard from God. You don't have to always have a burning in the bosom. You don't always have to have this super spiritual experience to know what the will of God is. Just read the Bible. Just read the Bible. And there's so much of it that will become clear. You see, it's sad because I think um, the disposition of a a typical non-believer is ultimately since I'm not filled with God's love and they wouldn't know it, where can I search for love? And so all of the things that we would consider like, what are you doing that for? That's what they'd say. This, this is a good use of our time. The disposition of a Christian is since I know I'm loved, how can I spend my life showing God's love? Are you thinking that daily? Are you thinking that? If you want to walk in the light, if you want to live wisely, if you want to share God's love, you've got to be thinking about how am I submitting to God's plan? How am I submitting to God's plan? That means he's got a plan. He's bigger. He's better. He's greater. My plan is not that great. Maybe I need to reevaluate my life. Maybe you've been following Jesus for 15, 20, 30 years, and you've thought, well, I'm doing pretty good because, I, again, I fit inside that evangelical mold of doing what they ask me to. I go to my worship service. I go to my grow group. I, I, if I'm super spiritual, you're coming here, right? But maybe... I'm wasting a lot of my time and I need to resubmit myself to God's will and his plan. Number two, you got to realign. It's one thing to be convicted of it. It's another thing to actually do something. To say, you know what? Maybe instead of thinking for the last two years, I should get rid of Netflix. Maybe you just get rid of Netflix. Netflix isn't evil, but if it stops you from doing good, then maybe it's evil. I, I don't know. Not condemning those things, but we're called not just to avoid sins of commission, but sins of omission. It's not just the bad things you do, it's the good things you don't do. Hospital, at least, I think if you want to be looking to share God's love, you've got to be you've got to be in tune with God's spirit in the sense that you've got to be asking and intentionally walking throughout the day, God, give me opportunity. Give me opportunity at work and give me boldness to share the gospel, to share the love of Christ. Give me opportunity as I'm going to the grocery store. Give me opportunity. Some of the things that I dread doing the most, I find myself, if I'm in a waiting room, wherever, I'm just thinking, I'm like, you know what? I don't really want to be here. So I can sit here and complain and moan and groan, or I can be praying, God, give me opportunity. Give me opportunity. When I'm nervous, one of the things that I do when I'm nervous is, all right, if I'm here and I am physically, I'm nervous inside, I'm going to use this time to glorify God. God, help me to, if I'm, if I'm having a panic attack, but I'm sharing the love of Jesus, I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> I'll take that. Honestly, that's a good part of how I got to this place as a preacher. If I'm going to get on stage and be scared to death, I better be sharing the gospel. Because if that's how I go out, I'd be okay. <laughs> I'd be okay. Here's the do not. Do not get drunk with wine. Do not get drunk with wine. Obviously, getting drunk um, has several issues with it. Number one is uh, when it comes to drinking alcohol, um, God says, obey the authorities, right? Romans 13, Romans 14. So if the law says you got to be 21, you got to be 21. Um, But also, um, don't make your brother stumble, right? 
same Roman stuff. And so you might have the freedom in Christ to drink alcohol if you're of the age, but you find that you live in the Bible belt and some people around you, even if they've got bad teaching, but in their experience said, um, you know what? I just don't think any Christian could drink. It's just absolutely horrible. Um, then you should respect that because the heart of a Christian is how can I bless and serve other people? Not what can I get away with in their presence? If you make someone stumble, you can't always control how they think or feel, but you can control whether you're actively being a punk. Not to mention, you got a pit viper in the house. Technically, you could have it, but don't be surprised if it bites you. Um, ultimately, you are to be under self-control, the Bible says, and to be alert and aware. And if you're under the control of alcohol, so this is the drunk part, Um, then you're not under the control of the Spirit. And that's ultimately what this verse is saying, is to be filled means to be um, controlled by the Spirit. To be controlled by the Spirit. Uh, There's some imagery in the Greek when this word filled is used. It's usually, um, uh, it would be used in sailing terms. And so you picture being on a sailboat and you're wanting to move somewhere. And when the sail goes up, the wind fills it. He's saying, this is what it's like. When the Holy Spirit of God um, enters your life, it does at salvation. When you place your faith in Jesus, when you call Jesus Lord, God saves you and seals you with his spirit, the Holy Spirit inside of you. Then this is what messes believers up. You get to decide, am I going to fan it into flame? So after this, it talks about singing songs and, and making melody in the heart. There's things that, that we do. We get into the word of God. We, we pray. We talk to God. And you're going to find yourself filled with the spirit. The quality of the Holy Spirit can't change. God's not an impersonable force. He's he. Jesus referred to the spirit not as it, but he. And so the Holy Spirit is not going to change in quality. And technically, it's not changing in quality. But if your experience wants to be one that is filled with the Spirit, and where the Spirit is controlling you, then you've got to do the things that the Spirit wants to do. You've got to move where the Spirit uh, wants you to move. You've got to put the sail out, and you've got to submit and be ready for God to move you. Sometimes it's not that God isn't moving, it's that you're not willing. And so we say, I'm not hearing from God, I'm not hearing from God, I'm not hearing from God. Do you really want to hear from God? Because he might tell you some things you don't want to hear. But the Spirit of God has power. Don't get drunk on wine. So don't fill yourself with things that are saying we're not moving anywhere. You've got pain. You've got hurt. Let's stay right where we're at. Let's try to ignore it. Let's try to cover it up, right? That's what drunkenness is going to do for you. He's saying be filled with the Spirit of God. So let, let's, let's, uh, let's reveal, let's expose the pain, let's heal the hurt, and let's move forward in the power of God. That's what it's saying. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. This is great. Ultimately, listen, every, worship is taking place everywhere. It's taking place everywhere. Um, fans cheer. Fans cheer. You go to a stadium and they'll cheer the God of sport, right? Everyone gets pumped up. Super Bowl time, there's like $3,000 a ticket to go to the Super Bowl. Why? Because they want to go. I saw one fan, a Philadelphia fan, stole three of the seats from the stadium and then got caught as you try to get them on the airplane. Like, like they were 
cheering, cheering, cheering. You go to a concert. You go to a concert and they're going to cheer the band, whatever God's on stage. They're going to cheer, cheer, cheer. When you worship God, when we sing, it's not, people say, well, my personality is just one that I don't like to sing very much. I, who cares about your personality? If you got the Holy Spirit in you, that's going to want to sing. It's going to want to say, I got something to be thankful for. I know the love of God. I've received the love of God. I experience in tangible ways the love of God. I love others with the love of God. I share the love of God. I have the love of God. I'm all about the love of God. You're going to want to sing. You're going to want to speak to each other the word of God. You're going to want to hear it from one another. You're not going to stand here and be annoyed at what songs were picked that week and whether they fit your preference. You're going to be singing in your heart long before you're singing out your mouth. And if you're not, then that's when you find yourself complaining about the way we worship God, which ultimately is you want to worship yourself. giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. This is what it's all about. We know his love because we are adopted. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's what love does. Love makes us submit. Not because we have to, we get to. Um, Let me end tonight just talking just a little bit just a little bit about adoption. You know, if you lived in the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago, you wouldn't have liked being a kid. You see, by the age of five, 40% of kids were dead. If you were born into a poor family, it wouldn't be that crazy for you to be thrown in a trash pile, to be left in the wilderness. And even Scripture talks about a god that many would worship called Molech, And outside of the city gates, they would have child sacrifice to the god Molech. And people say, how could you ever do that? And what you got to realize, it wasn't just the worship of a god. It was convenience to kill a baby that some people just didn't want. If you had any issues with you, boy or girl, abnormalities, it wouldn't have gone well for you. And if you made it past five, it wouldn't be too uncommon for you to walk the streets, for you to be sold into slavery, prostitution, hard labor. And for you, it was adoption or die in many cases. Now, this is one reason why when you read in the New Testament about the little kids coming to Jesus, what did his disciples say to the little kids? They don't want them. Don't come to Jesus. What are you doing? Why? Because many of these kids were probably wandering in the streets. We don't know. But it was not cool for an adult who's a teacher and a rabbi to have little kids who parents often didn't want. And Jesus says, I love the little children. It's not blonde hair, blue eyed Jesus sitting there saying, well, I'm just a friend of little kids. No, it's him making a public and political statement saying, listen, the ones who are the most outcast and brokenhearted, who many people don't want, I'm saying, come to me. And if any of y'all stop these from coming to me, it'd be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the sea. You know, the context of kids in the Roman Empire, all of a sudden that means a whole lot more. And that's also why it was so incredible in the first century because when 
people learned theologically that God as a father adopted us Christians as his children, the first century Christians started to adopt left and right. They'd go to the trash heap. They would go to the wilderness. They'd say, there's a baby, there's a baby. They started adopting, adopting, adopting. It didn't make sense financially. It wasn't feasible, but they saw theology dictates your activity. And they knew they were adopted and it changed the way they viewed things. Tara and I, I mentioned we were walking through this foster class and we started doing this because ultimately we've had fertility issues and we came to the conclusion, we knew all along this is godly. Um, this is something that is good. Um, but whether it was going to be something we would do or not, we, we didn't know until God um, he made it clear to us. And so we are walking through this process and we've always had in our mind adoption and there's tons of paperwork involved in it. And it's good. I applaud those who have set it all up. But we, um, a couple of days ago, had to fill out these big, long personal profiles. And there was one page that was just for people who wanted to uh, not just do foster care, but uh, eventually adopt. And there was a question on there. And it said, what would make you change your mind. You see, in these classes, all we hear about, we do case study after case study after case study. Things that in Salina, you think, that doesn't happen in Salina. No, that happens in Salina. Where kids are broken. They've got sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, drug abuse. They've got so many things, so many things, in many cases, going against them. Brokenness all over the place. And some of them will get adopted and then and then go back into foster care. Picture that, going into foster care, then you finally get a parent, and then you go back into foster care, and then they'll go through it sometimes in cycles. One kid being adopted several times, and I saw that question, what would make you change your mind? Let me ask you this, who gets to choose adoption, the child or the parent? And I stared at that question, and I knew my answer. But I smiled a little bit as I sat at my desk, what would make me change my mind? Because I didn't just have a fire inside of me as a dad saying, nothing. But it's the joy of a father to be able to say, nothing. I'm well aware of your brokenness. You don't get to choose me. I get to choose you. And so I wrote nothing. And then I said, because... And then I get to share the gospel. This world needs to know there's a good father who wants to adopt them. A father who says, you can't earn my love. You can't be lovable enough. But you are loved because I created you and I sent Jesus to die for you. And you don't have to look for love any further past the cross. Let me just end with this. Many of you, maybe all of you know of the love of God. Have you ever received the love of God? Do you rest in the love of God? Or are you searching for something you already have? There's no magic formula. There's basic trust, childlike faith, not childish faith, childlike faith. And he's saying, come to me. So I'm going to pray. And you can pray with me. And for some of you, maybe this is a time of healing. And you get to um, 
you to see the love of God in a new way. Let's pray.